0: and welcome to PCB Chat, where we talk with experts across the printed circuit design, manufacturing, and electronic supply chain fields. I'm Mike Buto, Editor-in-Chief of PCDNF and Circuits Assembly. With me today is David Schild. David is the Executive Director of the Printed Circuit Board Association of America. PCBAA was founded in 2021 to advance U.S. domestic production of PCBs and base materials. The organization is made up of corporate members of all sizes and includes fabricators, assemblers, and suppliers. David, welcome back to PCB Chat.
1: Great to be here. Thank you, Mike.
0: You came to PCBAA in November after years spent serving the aerospace and defense industries. Now, last month, had uh, PCBAA had its annual meeting, which I believe was your first as executive director. So let's get your initial thoughts on that meeting and the priorities that came out of it.
1: Thanks Mike. This was our second annual meeting in Washington D.C. As you mentioned, we're a new association but growing rapidly. And I think, you know, we doubled year over year from the 2022 to the 2023 annual meeting, and I was just thrilled that so many of our leaders gave their time and their talent for a couple of days in Washington, both to hear from the experts, officials from the Department of Commerce, from the Department of Defense, elected officials from both in the House and the Senate, Hill staffers, but also to do the hard work of lobbying, to go up to Capitol Hill and, and wear out the proverbial shoe leather so that we can advocate for our industry. Great meeting.
0: Several industry leaders sent a letter last month to the Appropriations Committees and the Defense Appropriations Subcommittees in the U.S. Congress. In it, they pushed for $100 million in the next budget to implement President Biden's recent designation of printed circuit board and IC substrates as technologies that are critical to U.S. national security. I want to dig into that a bit. First, what has to happen to make this a reality?
1: Well, I'm glad you brought this up. You know, the invocation of the Defense Production Act was a longtime legislative priority for our group and our coalition more broadly. Great to see at the highest levels of government and official designation that printed circuit boards and IC substrates are a critical national asset. We, we share that view completely. Now we've got to actually invest the money. The DPA is really a hunting license. And once it's granted, uh, you sort of have to put some bullets in the gun, some arrows in the quiver, as it were. And what we're looking for is a $100 million appropriation that would go to the Department of Defense budget. And that would allow for investment in... You know, rapid prototyping, research and development, the kind of things that we're going to need to invent the next generation of technologies in this particular segment of the stack. And look, the appropriations process is something that happens every year. Everybody uh, and their brother is looking to add monies to that process, but certainly we're going to push hard for this $100 million as a down payment, right? It's not all that we need as an industry, but the Department of Defense recognizes that next generation microelectronics are going to power everything that our warfighters use And we need a strong domestic capacity to produce those technologies.
0: Meet and learn from leading experts in the printed circuit design and manufacturing this year at PCB West, coming September 19 to 22 to the Santa Clara, California Convention Center. PCB West is the only event to feature experts like Rick Hartley, Lee Ritchie, Susie Webb, and Zach Peterson, all in one place join thousands of industry professionals across the 4-day technical conference which offers more than 120 hours of in-depth training and meet the more than 100 industry suppliers on hand at the 1-day exhibition on September 19th register today at pcbwest.com and get in on the action would that 100 million so would that be part of the National Defense Authorization Act
1: no i'm glad you mentioned that so there's a distinction between the ndaa which is an authorizing document really writing out policies procedures and guidelines for the department of defense i'm oversimplifying of course and the appropriations process and of course we have an appropriations bill for pretty much everything the government does right from agriculture to education to defense and so we need the policy language that's in the ndaa and i can talk about more specifically what hits printed circuit boards and we need actual dollars appropriated through that annual appropriations process.
0: Okay. Well, I want to circle back to the NDAA in a moment, but let's just say that appropriation, that $100 million happens. What does the roadmap look like insofar as where it's applied? In other words, why $100 million and how would it be spent? Uh, for instance, you know, there's been a lot of focus on chiplets of late. But of course, most U.S. manufacturers have little to no experience building that technology. Would that be a focal point?
1: I think anything that's an emerging technology is uh, something the Department of Defense is looking at. I don't want to speculate too much on how that money would be you know, specifically allocated, because my sense is, is that the DOD is going to open the window, as it were, and they're going to say, hey, you know, come to us with your ideas, with your proposals. You, know, you have several offices within the Department of Defense Um, you know, in the acquisition technology and logistics space. um, You know, you certainly have an executive agent dedicated to printed circuit boards out of Crane in Indiana. And these offices, I think, want to see companies stepping up with proposals to say, this is the problem that you've designated, and this is our technology solution. And, you know, that $100 million can get used up pretty fast on, you know, sort of cutting edge prototypes and research and development. But if we were to mirror the way it's been done in the past, I think you would see um, the government saying, the Department of Defense saying specifically, these are the problems that we need to solve. Industry, what are your solutions? And what do you need to make that happen? And there would sort of be a call and response there. That's what we've seen with other uh, smaller allocations like this.
0: So the expectation would be then companies would go to the U.S. government and apply in the form of grants or other kind of, uh, uh, you know, funding uh, for that money? Or would there be a third party that would be responsible for allocating it?
1: You know, typically the Department of Defense will make direct investments. Different government agencies, you know, do it differently. And again, I, I don't want to get too much in the weeds about the, you know, procurement process uh, and how some of these grants would work. The Department of Defense does have a different process than, say, the Department of Commerce, which is administering the CHIPS program. But I think that they understand that all of these future technologies are going to power everything from submarines to satellites, and there is a concern about the industrial base, right? What you see at the Department of Defense when they talk about these kind of investments is thinking not just six months, but six years or even 60 years ahead to say, hey, can we make the things that we need for future conflicts Future challenges that the department might might face. They're trying to get ahead of a problem. Right now, our industry does a tremendous job of meeting the need for secure and trusted microelectronics that go into again everything that floats or flight or fights or flies, as as we say. But I think there's a concern about the next generation technology set. Are we going to invent it here in America? Because if it's not invented here, we become dependent, excuse me, on foreign sourcing. That obviously makes the DoD nervous. Hence. The desire to to make some of these initial investments. And again, this is an industry push for the $100 million, right? This is our industry saying, DPA simply allows you to spend. Now let's put our money where our mouth is.
0: The actions going on right now in Ukraine and Russia, has that influenced or do you think that that's created any kind of sense of urgency among the congressional uh, members that you've met with insofar as saying, hmm, wait a minute, you know, if we're seeing how much supply we're using for something that we're not directly involved in, what do we need to do to ensure we have the capacity if we are directly involved?
1: You know, two things are happening simultaneously. I'm glad you brought this up, Mike. One is there's a greater recognition of the high-tech nature of modern weapon systems, right? Um, The the conflicts of today and into tomorrow are being fought with extremely high-tech systems that rely on, among other things, Microelectronics. Certainly, we're not the only uh, industry that has some light shining on it right now. You see critical minerals, you see specialty metals, alloys, even issues of workforce, right? Labor concerns. Do we have enough people who can do these special skills? So, one, I think everybody sees what's going on in that particular conflict and says, "Okay, high technology munitions, high technology uh, defense systems. This is this is the way that uh, that battles are being fought." The second part of that, I think is you know an understanding that we are burning through some of our stockpiles we are making you know significant um you know uh debits against some of our inventory and those are going to need to be replenished again i'm not hearing any problems right now meeting the demand coming out of the department of defense what i think we recognize is that defense focused industries often need their commercial partnerships their commercial side of the factories to keep everything healthy you see this with military engines right at companies like let's say pratt and whitney you see this with uh national space applications where if commercial launch is suffering defense launch faces challenges i think there's a similar analogy um, in our industry where we want to have a commercial base that is healthy that is productive that is profitable because it enables the defense line, which is much smaller, much more bespoke, to be sustainable.
0: Now, I want to point out that of the 26 companies that signed that letter, a third of them are primarily in the assembly space. So you're not just working to assist the fabrication side.
1: No, absolutely not. Um, PCBA has critical material suppliers, Uh, It has assemblers, it has PCB manufacturers, and we're hoping to welcome more substrate companies, right, an emerging area of growth in the United States, a place that we've got to do better. I think 99% of our IC substrates are made overseas because upstream and downstream of the boards themselves, there is a real impact here. The $3 billion that our PCBs Act calls for would be available to anybody who makes boards or substrates, but the 25% tax credit is really the game changer because it would apply to anybody buying American printed boards or substrates. And so now you've got any company using these technologies saying, I want to reshore, I want to diversify my supply chain. I'd like to buy more things in America, but it's not cost competitive. The tax credit gets you there.
0: So changing gears for just a moment, the bipartisan H.R. 3249, better known as the Protecting Printed Circuit Boards and Substrates Act of 2023, is seen as a necessary adjunct to the CHIPS Act. Its goal is to incentivize investment in the U.S. PCB industry. It calls for, among other things, $3 billion to fund factory construction and modernization, workforce development, and R&D. And it also calls for a 25% tax credit for purchases of American-made PCBs and substrates. I think it has five co-sponsors so far. What can you tell us about the status of that bill?
1: So it's been referred to several committees of jurisdiction and we are building a strong base of support. Uh, I know that our coalition is meeting every week with lawmakers virtually and in person to appeal to them to support the bill. The more co-sponsors we get, the more of a snowball effect that we build. Of course, Congress has been consumed lately with uh, spending bills, raising the debt ceiling, moving several critical bills like the NDAA forward. But I think what we are trying to do now is the educate part Of our educate, advocate, and legislate mission. Uh, One thing the semiconductor industry did very, very well was teach everybody how essential semiconductors are to modern life. We need to accomplish the same thing with printed circuit boards and substrates. We need to make people understand that there's a technology stack at work. That's one of the first conversations we have with members of the House and Senate is, if I hold this green board up, do you understand its role in the ecosystem? Do you understand how critical this is? We used to make 30% 30% of the world's supply here in America. Now we make 4%. That's an unhealthy contraction. That's a concerning dependence on foreign sourcing. And sometimes you see people's eyes light up and they're like, wow, I, I didn't know this. They, Of course they know it about semiconductors. Uh, our friends uh, in the semiconductor industry did a tremendous job of getting the word out. We need to do the same thing. The PCBs Act will pick up more and more support, I'm convinced, once we explain to more and more elected officials our role in the ecosystem.
0: And that's 4% of the value of the output. It's not 4% of the total production output, which would be probably even less because, you know, we're looking at this on a, on a square foot basis. The the volume of these boards that are being produced in Southeast Asia is so much greater than than what we're doing here. They're just generally lower cost boards.
1: The president said something in the State of the Union last year that I really agreed with, which was, if we invent something in America, we should make it in America. And we have been the leader in innovation in this space. One of the things that um, our chairman, Travis Kelly, talks about a lot is that research and development and design are often co-located with production. So when you take a PCB or a substrate factory and you move it overseas... You can certainly produce a lower cost good, but what happens is, is that the next generation technology is being invented there, co-located with production. So we, we lose the capacity to build these things, but we also lose the know-how, right? The intellectual power that will design the next generation. That's why there's such an imperative to rebalance. No one is arguing that we should put up uh, you know, enormous walls and try to decouple from the world and undo a global economy that's 50 years in the making. I, I don't think anyone's making that argument. What we're saying is that 4% is simply not a healthy slice of the pie, and it presents real supply chain and security risks.
0: So I would agree 100% with what Travis is saying. And in fact, you know, if you look at companies like Apple, they have a huge number of manufacturing patents uh, that they apply for every year, even though Apple doesn't, quote, manufacture anything, right? Right. So I think that there are companies that still recognize that there's a strong tie between understanding how things are built and then understanding you know what the next generation or a couple of generations down the road of design are going to look like. Um, I want to circle back to something you you mentioned earlier. You know, it wasn't an off the cuff comment. It was you know talking about the industrial supply base, and I would argue that the great successes, the, the transcendent moments in American history you know there's a very close tie between the government and the industrial partnership and and I'm thinking particularly you know if you go down to the Space Museum in Huntsville you can see the the first examples of surface mount boards 1964 I mean it's just an incredible moment and these are all built by IBM you know it wasn't a defense group it wasn't a defense contractor it was guys that were making computers that also had figured out you know the manufacturing technology that was needed for the <laughs> One of a kind at that time, uh, yeah, space launches.
1: We just passed what the fifty-first anniversary of man landing on the moon, and it does give you an appreciation for the engineering challenges that had to be overcome, the technologies that had to be built to actually achieve that, you know, remarkable feat. And when you think about what's happening now with technology in general, right? We're, we need to have a decarbonization of the economy. We need to have a green tech revolution revolution in this country okay that's going to be very very heavily heavily dependent on microelectronics we want to go back to the moon we want to go on to mars we want to explore the solar system again very very dependent on cutting edge microelectronics i guess it's a long way of saying that we're not going to accomplish anything impressive here on earth or out in space without the ability to invent and build these technologies and i think that there's a sense of um national pride and ownership and a desire to lead in that space while at the same time being part of a global economic footprint right so um you're right and and i'm a nerd about the space program we could talk about that all day but you know when i see this tech and i realize my iphone's got more capacity now than the the computer that took us to the moon you just realize how far we've come and it's it's on the backs of engineers and some of our member companies right who have invented this technology and are poised to do even more in the future
0: Along those same lines, H.R. 7677, which was a similar bill to 3249 that was introduced in the last Congress, defined PCB as a circuit board on which a pattern of copper foil connects the components. The text of the current bill defines PCBs as a composite with electrically conductive and non-conductive materials. So that opens the door to, among other things, additively manufactured or electronics printed with conductive inks. Was that the reason for the change?
1: You know, one of the things that we did at the end of the last Congress was uh, our coalition sort of circled the wagons and said, when we, when we see this bill reintroduced in the 118th, what are some improvements to the language that can be made? And I'm not an engineer. What we did was we went to our member companies and said, are we casting the net wide enough? Is this the proper modern definition? Because of course, what gets written into the law is what gets applied out in the field. You see this with the CHIPS Act, right? I mean, there are very specific phrases, uh, nouns and adjectives and verbs that sort of define where these billions of dollars go. So um, this wasn't something, you know, at the uh, sort of administrative level that was worked out. Our member companies said, you know, a more current and proper definition is really X, Y, Z. And I got to give a lot of credit to Chris Mitchell and the team at IPC for assisting in that. We also, of course, added substrates because we realized in the last bill that we were falling a little bit short by limiting ourselves to printed circuit boards, that, that three layers of the stack, right? The semiconductor, the substrate, and the board, it's all part of the ecosystem. So many board manufacturers are beginning to get into that substrate space and they wanted that expanded definition as well. So I think the language was greatly improved. And I, I thank representative Blake Moore and representative Anna Eshoo for making adjustments to that bill with industry input, that now I think brings it to the state of the art.
0: If I'm reading it correctly, and that's always, you know, could, could go either way, um, but 3249 funds the factory updates for one year. Does that suggest manufacturers need to be ready to go right away if it passes?
1: What I What I'm observing is that private money is following public action. And here's what I mean by that. The $52 billion that the CHIPS Act allocated, right, it's starting to be dispersed. Um, You're gonna see this over probably a decade, the entirety of that money getting handed out. But what's amazing is how private money is coming off the sidelines in response to public leadership. There's by some estimates $400 billion in private money going into semiconductor construction, production capacity. I think that a number of people in our industry are waiting to see where the government goes. They're prepared to act. The business case only exists if the demand signal is there. The government can help make that demand signal. So think of all of these things, Mike, as a down payment, right? Everyone acknowledges that the CHIPS Act is a start. I think people believe, and I certainly believe, that the PCSBs Act is a first step. I think our industry is nimble. I think it's ready to invest. But of course... Without a demand signal, the business case isn't there, right? We're operating in a, a marketplace. So I'd like to see this bill passed. I'd like to see the tax credit create strong demand, $3 billion be available to our members immediately. But we're going to be back revisiting this issue, whether this bill succeeds or fails for years to come. We Travis likes to say, you know, we, we took 40 years to dig this hole for ourselves. We're not going to dig out in four months, right? This is a long fight. This is a long slog, and we're ready for it.
0: Now, we mentioned a bit ago uh, about the NDAA. I'd like to kind of circle back to that. So it's different from the standalone funding bills, as you noted, and it just passed the House. Um, That's probably a podcast in itself. Any specifics in that particular bill that the industry should be made aware of? Sure.
1: So I think one of the things that um, we have been around for two years pursuing aggressively is DOD policy. That protects american microelectronics and kind of secures and builds resilient supply chains and section 841 and section 851 of the ndaa specifically call the department of defense to come up with a plan to secure their entire microelectronics supply chain including commercial off-the-shelf technology now we're all familiar with itar we understand the rules that say that certain defense systems have to have american-made trusted microelectronics that's nothing new to anybody in our industry and we get that but when it comes to commercial off-the-shelf technology the supply chain becomes a little bit more opaque the trust becomes a little bit weaker and one of the things that we're calling on DoD to do by 2027 that's the implementation date is say we are going to look at our COTS commercial off-the-shelf technology supply chains and we're going to make sure that from certain adversarial locations we are not in fact Supplying critical defense systems, we've got to keep that provision sold. We've got to fight to make sure that's there every day through January 1st of 2027. When DOD has to actually implement it, this is the reason we came to an, into existence in 2021. And you know, we've got to fight for it every year in the NDAA. But that's really the policy bill, right? That's the rules of the road. How do you run the DOD bill? The appropriations bill is the money. As you mentioned, we've got to go fight for at least 100 million dollars in that bill as well. But Congress looks at everything that, um, you know. again, our men and women in uniform depend on and says, okay, we've got to be able to trust this stuff. We've got to be able to trust where the critical materials come from, where the microelectronics come from, where is it made. And I think we exposed a potential flaw, a potential liability, and this is a good step to deal with it.
0: Finally, advocates for passage of the CHIPS Act were successful in part because of their outreach to mainstream media. Do you see a need to go outside the industry media as well?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, yourself and others who cover the industry in detail um, have been tremendous advocates, I'll say it for us, right? You're shining a lot of light on this issue. And I think even within microelectronics, right, critical materials suppliers, assemblers, manufacturers, there's a growing awareness that, oh, okay, advocacy in Washington is critical to what we do. But yes, um, I'm openly envious of the way that the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times cover the semiconductor industry. Some of it has to do with size. Of course, these are some of the biggest companies in the world and they're working in the the high B billions. They're breaking ground on massive facilities and promising thousands of jobs in key political districts. I don't know that our impact politically or economically mirrors what they're doing, but they will tell you because I've sat with these companies that what we are doing is critical to the overall stack and supply chain. And so I think we've had some very positive interactions you've seen positive coverage in outlets like the New York Times, for example. Uh, I've spoken to Bloomberg a number of times about these issues. Of course, uh, at the national level uh, with sort of tier one press and media, uh, it's a competition to have your issue covered and to make sure that you're the shiny object of the day. But we are part of a broad story. And as much as anybody wants to talk about semiconductors, there's always that question, what's the rest of the story? Well, we're the rest of the story. And so I think we're beginning to get traction there. But um, we were uh, or we are eager to get the word out in uh, any venue uh, venue that will, that will give us the time.
0: Well, thank you, David, for bringing us all up to date. Uh, there's a lot going on, apparently. And uh, uh, if folks want to keep track of this in as close to real time as possible, what would you recommend?
1: You know, I think that we are um, communicating actively. And if you follow us on social media, if you're on LinkedIn, if you're on Twitter, if you're looking at the activities of the PCBAA, if you're following all the great work, again, that our colleagues at IPC are doing, um, the the leadership from the USPAE. If you're following these organizations and their social channels, I think you're getting a great feed of what's going on. And of course, if you're more interested in being a part of our team, contact us directly, visit us online at pcbaa.org. And, um, you know, we're a growing organization. Educate, advocate, legislate. That's our mission.
0: Well, thank you, David. Our guest today has been David Schild, Executive Director of the Printed Circuit Board Association of America. David, thanks again for bringing us up to speed on all the domestic legislation to support PCB production in the U.S.
1: Always great talking to you. Thanks, Mike.
0: For PCB Chat, this is Mike Buto. Have a nice day.